We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. On this week's episode of The Timeline, the voice of the Northern Arizona Suns and the Phoenix Suns postgame show, John Bloom and the News. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast from downtown Phoenix. My name is Mike V. Hill. I'm very happy to be here with Sam, recording from Geneseo, New York. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mike, out here in the cornfields because uh, I guarantee none of our listeners out, mostly in the state of Arizona, have heard of Geneseo, New York, but uh, appreciate the shout out as always, and they have now. Um, I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk to the guests we have later on in this episode, although it's just going to be the two of us for the first few minutes here. Yes, we have coming up after we talk about the news, John Bloom. I know everyone listening knows John Bloom, but he uh, is the announcer, radio announcer for the NAZ Suns, voice of the Phoenix Suns postgame show for Arizona Sports, 98.7. And we... uh, I mean, some news, actually. We already recorded the interview, and it was awesome, so I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Uh, It was recorded Wednesday, so if anything has come out since then, sorry. (laughs) We recorded it a little early. Um, But there has been some news since our last episode, so let's get right into it. All right, first things first. There was the trade that we talked about in our emergency podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was actually uh, our most listened to podcast so far. So we appreciate Ryan McDonough for uh, making something happen late August. Uh, But there was something that came out after we recorded that podcast that we have not covered yet. And what it is is Ryan Anderson reduced the guarantee on his contract 
for the second year of his contract, the last year of his contract, from $21 million, just over $21 million, to $15.6 million. Now, a couple of things about that $15.6 million. The obvious one is that that is how much Brandon Knight was supposed to make. So for the Suns, that just represents the exact number that Brandon Knight was going to make. So in a sense, if the Ryan Anderson experiment does not work, we can cut Ryan Anderson and create that same amount of cap space that we would have had uh, even if we had just kept Brandon Knight. So this is a kind of an interesting thing. How do you feel about this uh, detail that came out afterwards, Sam? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool little detail for the Suns. It's really important to note that that $15.6 million only comes into play if we waive him. He still gets paid his full $21 million, uh, if the Suns decide to keep him past next season. And so Ryan Anderson himself really isn't forfeiting any money through this. Uh, but I, I think it gives the Suns more avenues to either potentially trade Anderson's contract if they can somehow do that, or another avenue that's possible for the Suns down the line that I think we've talked about with Brandon Knight in the past is waiving and stretching his contract, which it typically is something that you don't want to do uh, because it sort of surrenders some of your long-term cap flexibility, but it can create a lot of short-term cap flexibility. And if the Suns do a lot of moves next year where they sort of dump these big contracts of Trevor Reza and Tyson Chandler um, and, you know, also do something like wave and stretch Ryan Anderson's contract, there is a path there to be made uh, for the Suns to create a max cap slot uh, and really chase after one of the big name fish in uh, next year's free agency class. So I don't know if that's something that they're thinking about doing, but it's, it's certainly a possibility. It's definitely a sign that they're thinking about doing that because uh, that, that means a lot. The other thing that it p- kind of points out is that Ryan Anderson really wanted out from Houston. He was willing to, to risk uh, some contract money. Not a huge, I'll, I'll be honest, not a huge risk for Ryan Anderson because he gets paid the majority of his contract, even if he's waived by the Suns. And if he is waived, he becomes a free agent in a time that a lot of teams have a lot of money available. So he'd likely sign a contract and even maybe even potentially make more than his, his original guaranteed amount for that year. Unlikely, but possible. Um, but it does make that contract more tradable uh, to a team maybe like Atlanta. We may have to attach, attach a draft pick if we need to clear that space entirely, but uh, a team that would need that cap space and be willing to take a contract for that huge uh, cap space increase. Um, so that's the main thing about that. It doesn't really change the outlook for the Suns at all, other than if we needed to waive him, we can, and it doesn't cost as much. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, though, is the great Scott Bordeaux. Scott Bordeaux is no longer covering the Phoenix Suns. It's another loss to me. Scott's been a really great writer. Uh, Sam and I have talked about Paul Coro before, another great writer that no longer covers the Suns. And uh, Scott Bordeaux is now moving to the Athletic, and he'll be covering the Arizona Cardinals. He's no longer covering basketball at all. Kind of disappointing, right? Yeah, a little disappointing. I mean, keep in mind, Arizona sports hasn't named its next beat writer yet. But I think the more interesting conversation to have here, I don't know how interesting this is to our listeners, really. But in talking about the general media landscape and, and the future of The Athletic, uh, for those who don't know, The Athletic is this company that uh, is really trying to go with this subscription based service. They're they're offering no ads, but you need to pay a subscription in order to read their work. And they're poaching all of these beat writers across the country at very respectable uh, newspapers to sort of create this network that covers every single team. And so part of that as well, the other half of this story is that Gina Mizell, who was formerly the Nuggets beat reporter for one season at the Denver Post, uh, is coming over to The Athletic to cover the Suns. So the Suns have another beat reporter now, sort of in the sense that Gina Mizell is going to be covering them for The Athletic. 
Arizona Sports, I imagine, will have a beat reporter. We just don't know who it is. Uh, so those are going to be a couple of uh, presences for the Suns in the in the locker room this upcoming season. Yeah, I don't know about the Athletic. I know they have Shams now. They have a lot of other uh, big-name reporters going over there, and they seem to be... The, the idea is sort of to replace all newspapers as far as sports goes, and I don't think that I don't know that that's going to work. The, the main problem with the athletic, if they do report something that is exclusive to the athletic, then another aggregator can just post the same story and say uh, reported by so and so at the athletic, and then I could just read that story without having to pay the three to five dollars or whatever it is a month that the athletic is. So. I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. It's a huge risk for a lot of these reporters, and I think it makes it clear that they're willing to take the risk. That means they're probably shelling out some cash. Well, and <laughs> They're probably paying these reporters. They're shelling out some cash, but also you have to look at the newspaper industry in America currently. Uh, looking at yeah. the Denver Post, Gina Mizell covered the Nuggets for one season. Uh, if you go over and talk to Nuggets fans, the, the Post had three different basketball writers covering that team in each of the past three seasons who then left and, and pursued other jobs. Elsewhere, uh, Gina herself tweeted out that in the one year that she was there, the Post slashed a third of its staff. So for a lot of these writers, uh, you know, I think it's worth the risk pursuing this other potential industry, uh, even though it is going to be very volatile and it's admittedly an experiment. But the newspaper industry in America currently is suffering. And I think with The Athletic, the the really interesting thing is going to be looking at how can they try to attract sort of millennials uh, in the long term in order to create a long term sustainable business environment, because what they're currently doing is they're positioning themselves against the likes of the ESPNs and the Bleacher Reports, the the low grade type of analysis. And they're saying we are not going to uh, rely on that sort of clickbaity type journalism. We're going to give you just the facts. We're going to give you inside analysis. And I think that's really appealing to older viewers. But, you know, to create a long term sustainable business strategy, they're going to eventually need to be attracting younger a younger readership as well and and i'm really curious to see how they're going to go about doing that because you know just speaking as a millennial myself i don't mean this necessarily as a criticism but this is a very entitled generation of media consumers uh for better or worse and you sort of get the sentiment you get a lot of people my age who are sort of equally complaining about the likes of a bleacher report or an espn about the clickbait journalism that has infested uh all of digital media on the other hand a lot of times those very same people will scoff at the idea of paying a subscription fee. I mean, just imagine what would happen if we, and I know this isn't a perfect analogy, but if we as part of our podcast started charging a subscription fee for people to listen to us, uh, of, of course that wouldn't <laughs> of course that wouldn't end well for us because there are so many other podcasts mm. out there for people to listen to and uh, they would immediately mm-hmm. just go to those instead regardless of the content we're putting out. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, Chris Sheridan is a national NBA writer, he had a hot take on this, uh, responding to us on Twitter earlier today, actually saying the over-under date for the athletic to fold is by 2020. Um, and, and he's taking the under on that. He says it's an unsustainable business strategy. Yeah. Uh, he probably doesn't have a lot of friends over the athletic, I imagine, because of that take of his. But, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see that play out. It's, it, I imagine this conversation will continue. And if it ever does fold, that's a lot of really great reporters without a job. So... Uh, you know, here's here's hoping for some success. I, I'm not sure that I'll pay for it. Maybe I'm part of that entitled generation, but I'm not sure I'm going to pay for it either. Um, next thing, there was a report that former Phoenix Suns point guard uh, and former former Phoenix Suns point guard Goran Dragic is now available on the trade market. The Heat have made him available to be traded for. 
Now, Sam, round three, you think? Yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm all for it. I, here's the thing about Dragic. He has a player option. So he, he has he's on he's signed next year, and then he has a player option for 2019-20. Uh, I've seen a lot of people tweet that the only way that they uh, that taking Dragic would be sort of palatable to them would be if he were to uh, waive that player option and become a free agent for that 2019-20 season. We've sort of talked about Dragic uh, in the past as a free agent for that 2019-20 season under the assumption that he will opt out of it, but maybe maybe he won't. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of cap space available for that 2019-20 season. And if he wants what would likely be his last big contract, that's not the worst time to become a free agent. So I think if he were to be traded, he, there's a good chance he will opt out of that. There's no guarantee, of course, but there's a good chance that he will. Um, I'm not sure what it would take to get Goran Dragic at this point, but he is a great fit because he does play well off the ball. He's a bigger point guard. A bigger point guard, I think, is what you want next to Devin Booker. And I think uh, someone who runs the floor, uh, you know, can play tough on offense, runs pick and rolls, pick and roll between DeAndre Ayton and Goran Dragic. That sounds pretty fun to watch because you know how it is. Dragic likes the switch. If if they do switch on to him and it's a big man guarding him, then that's that's easy money for either the point guard or DeAndre Ayton at that point. Keep in mind, Mike, you say he's good off the ball, but you don't want to play him too much off the ball because that... Constant issues last time. That's the only thing uh, I really have to say about that situation. Yeah, I, I mean, the obvious thing that we have to talk about if we're talking about Dragic coming back is Kokoshkov. This is his national team's coach. They seem to have a great relationship. Dragic tweeted congratulating him when he was hired. Uh, they've they've kind of have this sort of media love fest back and forth between each other. So it wouldn't be surprising if Dragic was open to it, although... I think for people who don't follow the team that closely, it would be kind of a shock after the way it ended previously. Um, that is something we're going to cover throughout the season, I'm sure, because Dragic, if he's not traded to the Suns, could be a free agent. And the Suns will have some money, and we need a point guard, so I imagine we're going to talk about this time and time again. Some big news. The 2018 NBA Hall of Fame class is very Phoenix Sun heavy. Dominated. Uh, Steve Nash, yep. Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, Grant Hill, Charlie Scott, and Rick Welts all are Phoenix Sun affiliated. Of course, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, point guards, Grant Hill. His favorite season in his NBA career, if you ask him, was the 2009-2010 season. Charlie Scott, multiple-time all-star on the Phoenix Suns. And Rick Welts, I think he was the vice president. He was an executive uh, for the Suns. Uh, and and sort of famously uh, came out while he was an executive at the, on the Suns, sort of a, a, a big story um, while he was uh, on the team. That is pretty awesome. This is going to be fun. It's on Friday. I suggest watching it. Are you excited to see this Hall of Fame class? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, this is the most representation the Suns have had possibly in any class. I didn't actually think to do the research beforehand, but just a very Sun-centric class and uh just great, great players all around. Have very fond memories of Nash, Kid, Grant Hill. Obviously not Charlie Scott, but um, but just great representation for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, it's really great. What's great about it is that there's lots of stuff kind of going around about Steve Nash. There's a really great ESPN article about what Steve Nash would look like in today's NBA that that was written. Tim McMahon on ESPN wrote that article, and it's really it's kind of a fun thought experiment because. Uh, you know, you tweeted it out, Sam, uh, or actually I think you posted it on Reddit. Uh, Steve Nash never shot more than 4.7 threes per game. He would shoot probably 11 or 12 per game if he played right now. Don't you think? 
He would. He would. And and I talked specifically about the. Um, I think I did both. I put it on Reddit and Twitter. Uh, the path for Nash to be a twenty-five point per game scorer in today's NBA is very much there. Uh, I think his scoring was incredibly underrated. And if Mike D'Antoni had sort of realized the direction that the league was going in and, and had taken it to even greater extremes a little bit earlier, then Nash absolutely could have been a, a 25-point-per-game scorer. But instead, he was sort of held back a little bit by the scheme. Obviously, the seven seconds or less. Suns were still a very fast team. But if you compare them to the teams of today that have taken the concepts uh, behind that team and really uh, sort of brought their evolution out a little bit more... Um, he could have played even faster. He could have focused even more on the three-point shot, and he still would have uh, been incredibly inf- uh, efficient. I don't think he would have sacrificed much volume by doing that at all, or you much know, efficiency. Excuse me. I really, I really recommend to Suns fans to read that article uh, on Steve Nash. Uh, what's uh, there's a really great quote uh, by Mike D'Antoni, who was interviewed in the article, and he said, "If Steve Nash was running that pick and roll now, if there was any hint." of the defender going under that screen, he would tell Steve Nash to whap it up. That's the word he used, whap. And then supposedly he uh, sort of flicked his wrist, sort of mimicking Steve Nash's shot. Uh, so imagine an NBA where Steve Nash just kind of jacked it up if any player went under. How impossible that pick and roll would be to guard. You imagine that an Amari Stoudemire Steve Nash pick and roll would result in traps, and a trap on Steve Nash, maybe one of the greatest passers of all time, he would get that ball to Amare on the roll. And and if Amare was then doubled or, or somebody came off the corner, it would look a lot like the Warriors. Amare would have to get better at that little short pass, the short roll pass to the corner three. The Suns already shot a lot of threes. You just can picture it. It's it's a kind of a fun thought experiment. I've been thinking about it pretty much all day today. It, it would have been incredible. And I kind of wish we would have gotten to see it. And I'm glad what we got because watching Steve Nash be that sort of unselfish pass-first point guard, maybe, it, maybe in the last era of pass-first point guards, that we're going to see for a while. Uh, I'm glad we got that. Um, now, quickly, we were waiting for news on the DeAnthony Melton contract. There is a rule about signing uh, second-round players by today. It's sort of convoluted how, how the rule gets, but but I can't. I don't expect anything to happen here. Maybe they were waiting to see if there was any trade uh, on this, but we expect DeAnthony Melton to be signed by the end of the day today or, or very soon, right? Yeah, yeah, very soon. I I believe, uh, yeah, you have to give out an official tender by today, which is September 5th, um, or else you can lose the rights to that draft prospect. So I'm not exactly sure what is going on with this situation, but I do expect the Suns wouldn't have brought DeAnthony Melton in uh, in that trade if they didn't intend to either trade him immediately or to actually sign him to a contract. I expect that situation will be resolved very soon. Yeah, Uh, but boy, does... Ryan McDonough have a flair for the dramatic. He really waits for the last minute to do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, I just want to give a quick shout-out to the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, it's been a blast to watch the WNBA playoffs. I know this is a Phoenix Suns podcast, but, man, Diana Taurasi, if that was her last game in a Phoenix Mercury uniform, I wouldn't blame her. One, she's 36. Uh, she kind of owns all the record books, most points scored in the playoffs. I think she has most assists in the playoffs, most points in the WNBA of all time as well. She owns all those awards. 
she could retire now. Maybe the, well, she would go down as the greatest women's basketball player of all time. Um, it was really fun to watch them in the playoffs there. You know, I live right next to the stadium. I've talked about it before. I like to go watch the WNBA games. I try not to force it into the podcast too much. I would like to talk about it more to be honest, but I, I know a lot of people don't watch the WNBA, so I didn't want to force it in, but I can tell you watching them in person, there has been very few athletes that have brought me more joy than watching Diana Taurasi. She always came through in the clutch and the type of plays that she makes for the WNBA, for the Phoenix Mercury have been incredible. It's been so fun to watch her career. I hope she comes back. She's shown no sign of slowing down. She really can play more. And if she doesn't, I'm still going to watch the Phoenix Mercury, Dewana Bonner, Brittany Griner. They've been fun to watch. Um, just a shout out to them. They did really well. I'm disappointed they didn't make the finals. I was hoping to watch that uh, happen, but it is a reminder of how how great the Phoenix crowd can be when there's playoff basketball. That crowd was insane. Uh, so just a shout out to the Phoenix Mercury. Um, they've been so fun to watch this season, and these playoffs uh, definitely proved that. Um, now we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we have our interview with John Bloom. And man, is it good. I, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this. This guy is a pro. He's definitely a pro. Uh, you'll get to hear him talk about his thoughts on the team, um, his thoughts on our G League affiliate, and more. Stick around. Don't forget to recommend The Timeline to some of your son's fans' friends and follow us on Twitter at The Timeline Pod. Take part of the conversation on Reddit or on Twitter. We need you, son's fans. We welcome on to The Timeline the official voice of the Northern Arizona Suns and voice of the Phoenix Suns post-game show for Arizona Sports 98.7 and ArizonaSports.com, John Bloom. John, thank you so much for joining us on the timeline. You know what? I'm, I'm fired up to be here, guys. Uh, I can't wait for basketball to start back up. I know we still have you know a few weeks before training camp gets going, but uh, it'll be here before we know it. And I, I any chance I get to talk hoops especially with fellow Suns fans I jump all over it this month there is preseason games this month we're officially in a month where uh, the games will count so (laughs) it's kind of nice to have things happening Um, it's a nice time for you to join us because the entire month of August was dead nothing was happening and then all of a sudden last week Ryan McDonough drops a bomb on all of the Suns fans there was a huge trade well, huge in our relative terms. Marquise Chris for Brandon Knight, or Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight for Ryan Anderson and DeAnthony Melton. So let's just start off there, uh, John. I know you've been covering the team for a long time. How do you feel about this trade? Um, you know what? I'm excited about it in in some aspects, and, I, and I'm still kind of digesting it, to be honest with you, Mike. I mean, I, I look at it from a few different angles. One, let, let's just get it out in the open. For those who have listened to me uh, for a long time, you, you probably know I'm a fan of the California Golden Bears. So I'm a little biased about Ryan Anderson, and I've wanted the Suns to get him for years. Uh, now that he's 30, you know, maybe it's uh, a little past his prime, but I still think there's juice left there. And I am excited that he's now a member of the Phoenix Suns uh, because I have been a fan of his since he was a freshman in, in Berkeley. So there's that. And now that that's out in the open, I also want to say I actually was not as down on Marquise Chris 
and his future as some folks are here in this town. So I am a little sad to see him go because I do feel like there's still a good basketball player inside there. It hasn't necessarily emerged yet, and I don't know if it's going to in Houston either. I mean, it might be three, four years from now where Marquise Chris becomes a real impact player in the NBA, but I still think there's a potential there because he's still 20. And I understand that there's two guys there at that position that you want to, you know, be able to get something out of. You took them both in the lottery in the same year. And and that itself was an interesting call by Ryan McDonough. Well, now he's turned the page on Marquise Chris. And at the same time, he's brought back a guy who can do something better, one specific skill, better than either of the guys he traded away can do. And that's shoot the three. I mean, if you want to break down numbers, I will happily do that with Rhino. I mean, this guy is going to absolutely stretch the floor. He's shot over 40% a couple of times. He's shot nearly 40% five times in his career. And you can look at the the roster that the Suns had last season, and you really had one guy who's even tickled that number, and that was Troy <laughs> Daniels. So now you've added Ryan Anderson. You've added Trevor Reza, who's shot over 40% five years ago when he had his best year shooting the three. And more than just being able to shoot it at a good percentage, these guys can shoot it from all over the floor and will make a bunch of them. So specifically, when I look at this trade, what does it do for the Suns right now? It absolutely enhances their three-point shooting, and I think that's something that we can all agree they needed to do. The other end of it is what happens at point guard, and that's where I truly believe that maybe there is still a move to be had for this team if there isn't, then your hope relies on one of your two rookies panning out, that being a Kobo or DeAnthony Melton. And I'm not down on Isaiah Cannon or Shaq Harrison. You know, I've gotten to see a lot of Shaq's games up in uh, Prescott Valley the last couple of years, and I love his game. And I do think there's a place for him in the NBA, and I hope it's here in Phoenix. And then as far as Cannon, how could you not love just his uh, enthusiasm when he came to the team? He played one game up in northern Arizona. Then they brought him to Phoenix because they had a hole and they needed him to fill it. And he did a nice job for him, and then he had that gruesome injury. So the fact that he's rallied and gotten back I think is also a great story. He stayed around the team the entire time, even after he got hurt. And it was nice seeing him around the gym. So now that said, they have you know four guys to compete at that spot. And uh, none of them are, are necessarily starting point guard guys that you would look at as, as starting caliber guys in the NBA. But maybe one of them emerges and they go with the youth there and they go with the rotation there. And they also let Devin Booker be a, a predominant ball handler during portions of the game as well. Yeah, I think you can kind of say that there's two holes on the team or there were two holes on the team, power forward and point guard. Now, obviously, the I think I personally think there was a point guard hole even with Brandon Knight on the team. I don't know your opinion on that. We can talk about that, though. Uh, but this trade did solve one of those things, and that is we have a starting caliber power forward now. So that solved one of the things happening there. But now the, the point guard situation is very interesting. I'm glad you brought up the fact that you've seen Shaquille Harrison. Do you think that it's possible that Shaq could be a starting point guard on the Suns? Is he good enough? I think he's absolutely good enough on the defensive side. Uh, I think he is a, a disruptor, and you saw that uh, during his brief chance to to shine for the Phoenix Suns. He did that uh, in his first two seasons in the, the G League, but you know it's always difficult to gauge that based on his quality of competition. Then he got to the NBA, and he was doing the same thing. He was getting steals. He was taking it the length of the floor and finishing. Uh, he is a good finisher around the basket. His three-point shot, definitely not near NBA caliber. At least it hasn't been his first 
first two seasons, and you hope that he could get better at that. The one thing I know about him is he is a hard worker, and he is going to give it 100% every time he's on the floor, and, and I love that about him. His, his energy level is, is really tough to match. Uh, and so that's something that whenever he's on the floor, he's going to give his opponent fits. And so I, I do, th- like I said, I think there's a spot for him in the NBA, and I hope it's with this team. And I think that, uh, you know, he can give you a good 15, 20 minutes of uh, being an impact on the floor. Do I think he's a starting point guard in the NBA? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, not right now. And he's still mm-hmm. young, so maybe he grows into that as well. Uh Isaiah Cannon, I think, has a little bit more experience running the show uh, in the NBA and uh, is a better shooter, much better shooter. He can get streaky and and can be a knockdown three-point shooter, and he can also finish around the basket. And I like some of his skills. He's a little bit stronger, not as fast and athletic as Shaq, but uh, a different skill set. And then, uh, you know, I was impressed with Elia Kobo. I don't know what you guys thought and how much you saw of him in Vegas, but I, I expected something different, I think, based on what I read going into the draft and then coming out of the draft. Than what I saw in Las Vegas, I saw a very physical uh, player and uh, a guy that was not going to back down and was very tough. Not uh, necessarily what you often see from Europe, but uh, and from France. But he definitely has those uh, skills, and I love that. And so I'm, I'm, you know, pretty optimistic on him as well. They're just so young, and and what I've learned probably more than anything in in a couple decades of covering the NBA, starting in Detroit and then the last 13 years here in Phoenix with the Suns is you just don't win with kids. You don't win with young guys in this league. It's a grown man sport, and we've we've learned that the hard way over the last few years, haven't we? <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, regarding the Kobo, John, he was a guy that both Mike and I think were very high on going into the draft. I mean, I remember us having some discussions about even potentially taking him 16th, so regardless to say, we were, we were very happy with him at 31st. Now, if we talk about the other option, though, uh, and that's really pursuing a trade for point guard, if you don't want to make Shaq Harrison or Isaiah Cannon your point guard, I feel like you could be in sort of one or two camps right now. Are you sort of in the camp that says the Suns should just be going for some basic stability right now, but they should overall not use any of their big assets in a trade and just kind of go after one of these short-term solutions like a Corey Joseph or a Milos Teodosic, a Patrick Beverly is another name being thrown out there. Or do you really think the Suns should be thinking about throwing all of their best assets together and, and making a godfather offer at this point for a player of the caliber of a Kemba Walker, or even a Damian Lillard? Uh, for Damian Lillard, I say yes, 100%. If, if there's a deal to be had there, I'm in. I uh, would love to see him paired with Devin Booker. Uh, and I know that you know you might have to give up one of the assets that would be very difficult to give up, maybe a Josh Jackson, mm-hmm. who I definitely don't want to give up on at this stage in his career. But to get a guy like Damian Lillard, I mean, there's a top-flight point guard that you can have for a long time if you get him happy and he wants to stay part of this team moving forward. So, uh, you know, Kemba Walker I like too. Maybe a little bit uh, different situation because of the contract and maybe because of the age too. So, uh, you know, you're not going to give up as much. It won't be that godfather offer necessarily uh, that Michael Jordan would would need to get uh, and, and his whole staff in order to let a guy like Kemba go. And so I, I, I am interested, and I listen if I'm Ryan McDonough and his staff. I'm definitely uh, out there, and, and from what I understand and what I read, uh, they are out there and having conversations. So it is worth that. But is it worth giving up a lot of the pieces that you really have already put in place to build around? And, and that's where I kind of pump the brakes a little bit and say, unless it's a guy I think can be an all-star and a guy that can really be the focal point at that position moving forward with the rest of these guys that we put uh, on the young side around them, then uh, I'm probably going to either 
try to get a guy like you mentioned. I mean, look, Patrick Beverly to me is no slouch. If he can be healthy, uh, I think he could be an excellent piece next mm-hmm. to Devin Booker and, a, and an excellent piece to guide guys like DeAnthony Melton and Elia Kobo uh, and teach them what it's like to be that pro at that position. So I would love to, to have an opportunity to get him. Tedosic is an excellent playmaker. I love his vision. I don't know if I've seen enough of him to really be super high on what he would bring to the table for this team, but obviously uh, more of a veteran than, than what's currently on the roster. And uh, I know you brought up a couple other names. I think that these are all going to be considered, uh, and this is a part of this long summer that we knew uh, was coming for Ryan McDonough. And so far, I think he's navigated it pretty well. I mean, I'm excited. I think the optimism, it, w- it was hard to maybe have it grow from getting the number one overall pick. I mean, that was such a thrill. And uh, I hope we never have to be there again, frankly, unless it's a pick we trade for and someone else has to have that bad of a season to, to get us to the top. But uh, now that we did, it was kind of a cool feeling to, to have that and be the ones that got to have the pick of the of the crop. And, and DeAndre Ayton, how can you not get fired up about seeing that guy in purple and orange? And I know a lot of folks here are. And so uh, as we get closer to training camp, I think, you know, so far I'm, I'm very happy with what the staff has been able to do in the offseason. But I do think, like my gut is telling me they're not done. And, and I do feel like they're going to do something else potentially in the next few weeks before camp starts. You know, I'm glad you brought up the whole summer as a whole uh, because it's actually been ca- kind of an interesting uh, moment for Ryan McDonough. Uh, Sam and I recently did a podcast where we actually graded every move Ryan McDonough has made uh, in his entire career here in Phoenix, and we went through every single one. And really what it taught us more than anything is how important this offseason is for Ryan McDonough's uh, legacy, essentially how we're going to view him as a general manager, what happens now is very, very important to that. And I think a lot of Suns fans have looked at it and said, well, he was promising being very aggressive in free agency and aggressive in trades. And some Suns fans kind of look at that as going, okay, well, we got 33-year-old Trevor Ariza and 30-year-old Ryan Anderson. And based on that, and I agree with you, I think that it's so much more than that, right? We have DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges. That was huge. Mikhail Bridges yep. was a highly touted player. But a lot of Suns fans aren't sure what to make of this offseason yet, but how do you feel about it as a whole? It sounds like you're pretty high on it. I am because I feel like, okay, uh, I knew that this team needed to have a starting power forward, and I felt like if it was going to be Trevor Ariza, it was still an upgrade because there's a veteran, there's a guy that's done it before on on several different levels, offensively, defensively, uh, different positions too he's not necessarily uh a typical four and i don't even you know i haven't broken down the percentages like some folks do on these podcasts and i love listening to it but uh, of of how much uh of his career has been at the four i'm sure it's a very small percentage uh but he can play there defensively and i think he can be a mismatch uh in some cases offensively at that spot too uh so i was fine with that uh and and i thought that was definitely an upgrade and then you you thought to yourself okay I can wrap my arms around Brandon Knight as uh, a rejuvenation project of sorts. Uh, I do give him a lot of credit for doing everything he was asked while he was injured, being around a lot and making an extra effort with guys like me, media people, everybody in the building. Uh, So it's kind of sad to see him go because he did make that effort. And you wondered, is it going to lead to a significant turnaround? 
I'm not sure if we'll really see even an opportunity for it in Houston, but maybe. Uh, and uh, maybe he does end up resurrecting his career because I do think there's a lot of skill uh, in that guy. And then uh, I mentioned Marquise Chris. I like that kid a lot. I had a lot of great conversations with Marquise. He was one of my favorite postgame show ho- uh, guests and uh, even doing some other videos with him for Suns.com over the last couple of years have been a lot of fun. So I, I wish the best for that kid. I, I, I look at him and I know exactly kind of why he's this enigma. And it all comes from where you come from, right, guys? I mean, look, he was a football player, and he broke his collarbone. And his mom said, as a freshman in high school, you're not playing football anymore, uh, so find something else. And he went and found basketball. And so even when you see him today, having played two seasons in the NBA, he still doesn't have those innate basketball feels on a court. He still has to kind of, you know, manipulate through a possession and, and try to think it through. Whereas guys who have been playing hoops since they were, you know, five, six, seven years old and competitively when they were in junior high and elementary school, it's it just comes naturally to them. And it never did for him. And, and I think someday it might. And that's a scary proposition with what he has uh, athletically. But uh, we look at just what the additions are for Ryan McDonough. And yes, we knew going in, this is basically do or die for him. Uh, you know, moving forward, he hired another coach. Igor's got to pan out. Igor's got to show potential. And I like Igor a lot. And I think he does have a tremendous potential to be an effective head coach in the NBA. And then uh, from a standpoint of the draft, nobody could fault him for taking DeAndre Ayton, number one. He was a, a nearly unanimous selection from most experts. And then to go up and get uh, Mikel Bridges, a guy a lot of folks love as well, and then follow mm-hmm. that up with a Kobo, who you mentioned, you guys had him as a you know nearly a, a, t- a lottery pick type selection, and, and others did too. I think are is a great success. And then free agency came, and you knew they had to do something. And we already talked about Trevor Ariza, and we said that third arm of that is going to be trades. And he's already swung a deal to bring in a veteran power forward in Ryan Anderson that now backs everything up I said, which is go make an upgrade at power forward. Well, now not only have you done that with Anderson at four, you've upgraded your wing position with Ariza as well. You're expecting Booker to take a step in the right direction. You add this infiltration of the rookies on top of Josh Jackson maturing. Dragon Bender potentially taking a step with Igor Kokoskov's system. And on and on we go, and it's, it's positives. It's optimism. And uh, and that's good. I, I, we, we've had it kind of building over the last couple of years, but I still think it's building. And you got to give Ryan McDonough some credit for that. John, we have no idea what the future holds, but let's say for a second that uh, the point guard position in the next few weeks is only lightly addressed. OK, so no huge trade, maybe a trade for a guy like of the caliber of George Hill or something like that. Or we gotcha. just say, uh, you know, Shaq Harrison is going to be the starting point guard or Isaiah Cannon, a guy like that. Uh, what's your win-loss pro- uh, projection for the Suns right now going into the season, if that is the case? Well, it's interesting. I took a lot of flack for this because I, I have a little tradition. When the schedule comes out, I go game for game, pick win, win or loss, and then you know kind of break it down by month and uh, take a look. And and I ended up with 38 wins, and, and wow. that's higher than a lot of folks wow. have yeah. for this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was you know thinking about Brandon Knight being the starting point guard, being optimistic about him you know being able to lead this team. Uh, I need to reevaluate maybe a little bit. I haven't gone and done it again since the trade, but I'll stick with it. You know, I'll, I still think this team should take significant steps forward. Everybody likes to point back to what they did last year in 21 wins, but we all know that how many of the games in the last you know couple months were they really trying to win? And uh, you don't have to, you know, be a, a clairvoyant. You don't have to have 2020 vision to see that. 
Uh, so we all kind of know that that's an underinflated number relative to what their talent level was last year. Now the talent level, to me, is significantly increased. You expect young guys to take steps in the right direction and, and for them to get better. And so for that reason, I, I still think they can be in that mid-30s range, you know, the, on the high end. Uh, maybe it's it's towards 40. And, and if all things line up, you know, I was, I was going back and looking at numbers, uh, three-point shooting specifically uh, for this basketball team. And if, if things line up like they did in 2013 mm-hmm. and 2014 and you ended up getting nearly career years from everybody, then sure, they could potentially compete for a, a playoff spot in the West. And wouldn't that be exciting uh, for this team? But – like you mentioned, I mean, it's it's tough to really evaluate that spot, specifically the point guard spot right now, because here we're talking about a guy coming off a brutal injury in Isaiah Cannon being your most experienced at that position. Uh, and then you've got a bunch of youth with Shaq Harrison, Elliot Cobo, and DeAnthony Melton. It's not that they don't have talent, and it's not like any other NBA teams haven't rolled out inexperienced point guards and been successful in the past, but it's a difficult proposition to have that be your main ball handler making the majority of your offensive decisions. And that's why I think like you're going to have Devin Booker with the ball in his hands a ton making decisions. Mm-hmm. Even if he's not the starting point guard per se, he's going to be a playmaker on this team. Josh Jackson will be a playmaker on this team, and hopefully mm-hmm. his handle continues to improve, and he brings that kind of level of intensity and speed down just another half notch and keeps it under control because then he he does have a pretty good efficiency offensively when he is uh, under control. And I do like his playmaking ability. I like Dragan Bender uh, being a playmaker from the wing uh, with his height and his vision. And uh, let's see what the big man, DeAndre Ayton, can do. And you could throw it in the post, Mm -hmm. and they're going to have to bring a couple bodies at him because he can be that, uh, you know, devastating down low. These are new wrinkles uh, for the Suns that – a guy like Igor Kokoshkov could really take advantage of with his uh, offensive ingenuity. Yeah, that's one of the things that makes this trade hard for me to really fully buy in. And because Marquise Chris, he's never really had a good coach, really. I mean, the, no, he hasn't. I mean, it's just been hard for him. Let's just say that we we haven't had a chance to see him with a real offensive system with real players around him, and that's kind of hard. But uh, we well, we'll get to see him with Mike D'Antoni now, and we'll see how well that goes. But right. on that point guard conversation, most Suns fans consider TJ Warren to be the most tradable asset that we have, uh, I guess. It's, it's kind of the best way to put it. So what's interesting and what's hard is that coming from a team that had the worst record in the NBA last year, we really have no idea how much the rest of the NBA values a guy like TJ Warren uh, and and how much that can actually get on the trade market. Now, a couple things on that. Do you think that TJ Warren is the most likely trade asset if we're looking for a point guard? And how valuable do you think a guy like TJ Warren on his contract actually is to the rest of the NBA? I think the contract is is not a, a deal breaker or a deal maker either way for TJ. I think it's, it's a perfect contract for him. Nobody right. would balk at it. And sneer at it. It's it's very uh, economical, if you will. So I don't think that's really an issue as far as his tradeability. Um, you know, is durability an issue? No, I mean he's been he's been pretty good. He's had some weird injuries, right? I mean the the head injury that that we never really could mm-hmm. figure out uh, that cost him a good portion of games a couple seasons ago, and then then uh, you know he's been nicked up here and there. I do think he is an excellent player, and I love. The thing about TJ, which is that just opponents can't game plan for him. It's not like you're trying to take away his pull-up jumper. You know, you're not trying to take away his three. He doesn't shoot the three. Uh, it's just so unorthodox 
the way he scores the ball that other teams can't prepare for that. And I love having that as an option for the Suns. I think ideally it would be off the bench, second unit situation where he's going to come in and nobody's going to going to be able to check him I mean his scoring ability is tremendous especially considering you know he is a a very long and surprisingly athletic player I don't think he gets enough credit for his athleticism he's an excellent shooter excellent finisher mainly Uh, but uh, like I said just the unorthodox range and and ways he gets the ball in the basket makes him such a unique player Uh, as far as his tradeability, I mean, yeah, like I said, his contract is good, so he, I think it is a tradable contract. Uh, and obviously the Suns are very deep at that position. Mm-hmm. You know, I think normally you would look at him and a guy that could roll out of bed and give you 20 points and say, I don't want to give up on on that. Uh, but because you have youth there, coupled with now Trevor Ariza coming in, uh, it makes you wonder, is there room and how much is T.J. Warren going to even run? Because you also need to get Josh Jackson on the floor. You have to get Mikel Bridges on the floor. And uh, and now you're you're wondering, you know, are you too loaded at that spot, much like we were wondering about the point guard spot years ago. So I'm curious, and if I had to guess, that's probably a conversation that they're having right now with other teams to find out what T.J.'s value is. Because I don't think they want to give up on a Josh Jackson uh, this early in his career, even if TJ might be the better scorer right now. And in some cases, you know, uh, do a few other things better than Josh right now. I think that the upside of Josh is, is something that Suns fans and, and the Suns themselves uh, are really excited about. And I'm sure other teams would be too. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I think that Josh Jackson, there's, well, first off, we need a secondary playmaker, and, and if we're not going to have a point guard, that kind of falls on to Josh Jackson. He's shown that ability in the past. Uh, he's shown to be a bit of a playmaker in college, and he did a little bit of it after Devin Booker was injured, uh, in quotes, last season. And, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Now, for you specifically, it's been a really interesting last few seasons to cover the Suns because... As we talked about, you are the official voice of our G League team, the Northern Arizona Suns. And there's been a lot of players that played on the Northern Arizona Suns that also played in a Phoenix Suns jersey for the actual team, probably more than any other team in the NBA over the last few seasons. Yeah, Josh Gray, Shaq Harrison, Devon Reed, Isaiah Cannon, Derek Jones Jr., Alan Williams, Alec Peters, Daniel House. The list kind of goes on and on and on. What's it been like to see all this? Do you feel like you have a good uh, sort of inside track on knowing how good these players can be in the NBA, or is it difficult to judge that from one to the other? I think it is a little difficult, even when, uh, let's say, it's a consistent run of a guy being really effective. Uh, and You still are trying to you know look at it and say, okay, well, how does that translate? It's almost like when we get ready for the draft. And I know you guys did a ton of prep work, uh, you know, talking about the draft and, and getting ready for the draft and looking at the players and you try to figure it out. How are this guy's skills going to uh, translate when they get to the NBA? I think it's the same in the G League right now. You're, you're still trying to figure that out. And in some cases, you can look at a guy like Quinn Cook, 
and I'm going to use him because he's not a, a Phoenix Sun, but uh, a guy that most people saw kind of how he went from Duke being a very effective player in college, but then not really getting a look in the NBA. And then a couple years uh, in the G League, lighting it up. I mean, consistently putting up big numbers. And then he finds his way to a Warriors team because they end up with a couple injuries as if they needed another young, bright star. Right. But <laughs> I, I don't know if Quinn Cook is a, is a star in the making. But what I do know is he's an NBA player. And when you watched him in the G League, you could look at him and say, that guy's an NBA player. Uh, I, I thought that Derek Jones Jr. was an NBA athlete, but he still has uh, elements he needs to bring to the game to be an NBA player. And he's still in his early 20s. So there's a guy who's going to be exciting to watch for years just the way he flies out of the gym. Uh, and then, you know, you looked at Isaiah Cannon. We only had him for one game with the Northern Arizona Suns, and I could tell that guy's going to be back in the league. And, and he had been, you know. And, and when you have guys that are, that are veterans that are playing in that league, a lot of times you look at them and you're like, okay, this is just because, you know, there's no opportunity for him right now, but there's going to be. Uh, he's, he's been he's successful in the NBA before, so he'll probably find his way back. What I've noticed, though, is that the competition got better last year from the year before, and I expected to get even better this year. They added one more team. I think it's still a little annoying uh, you know, if I can just be a, a soapbox guy in the G League, I'm sure every guest that you have always wants to get on their soapbox about the G League. So I'm going to do it right now. Uh, what I think is it's a shame that the league hasn't just champed up and said all 30 teams get a team. Right. You know, uh, and, and it's just convoluted that you can't kind of grow your own, if you will. You can't have your young players and and cultivate them and have them be a property of your team like other minor leagues uh, do and, and I think the NBA needs that. I, I think it's going to just make the product so much better at the NBA level because now you're able to really gear uh, that player towards your system and uh, you know grow them the way you want to grow them, and, and uh, it would just be better across the board as opposed to teams kind of poaching players off of opposing teams' affiliates. That's that's uh, somewhat mind-boggling to me that they still are at that situation. But the the uh, Wizards added one. Uh, I think we're only missing, what, two or three left. Mm -hmm. And I think New Orleans is coming, so it's just going to be, what, Portland and Denver as the, the lone holdouts, I believe. Uh, so hopefully they get their act together, they get their teams, and this league will continue to grow, and maybe uh, it will become that real established minor league that the NBA has never had, and that will help bridge the gap between a lot of these teenagers that are coming in too early, uh, give them a place to hone their skills uh, and they don't have to go over to Europe, and they're doing it here. They're making enough of a, a salary to be able to get by. And these guys, you know, the, the salaries are going up, which I'm ha also happy to see. And as that happens, I think the league just gets more and more legit. And the Suns, you know, from their standpoint, you're right. They've had a lot more guys going from the G League to the NBA. Let's hope that that starts to taper off a little <laughs> bit because what that means is the young players we have on the team currently are holding it down, and the veterans as well. And you can move together that way. And then maybe, you know, at the end, you do bring a guy up that deserves it. Uh, and he gets some run towards the end of the season. And uh, as the league kind of matures as well, I I'd like to see that relationship mature too. And I'd like to see, uh, you know, some people that are down here that are huge Phoenix Suns fans in the Valley take the trip up north and come join us at Prescott Valley. It's a lot of fun. They put on a great show. It's a very reasonable ticket. And from my house, I live in North Phoenix. It's about an hour and 10 minutes, hour and 15 minutes door to door. So it's not too bad. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned the salaries. For those who don't know, the uh, G League salary was raised uh, recently. And G League players who are not signed to an NBA roster now make $35,000 per season, which may not seem like a ton. 
relative to the NBA, obviously. But then you look, the average single-A baseball player in a full season makes anywhere from three to $8,000. So in a really interesting way, I do think the G League has sort of positioned itself to potentially attract uh, some more talent away from the NCAA as it becomes more competitive. And John, I know you're a Syracuse fan, which is actually why I think this is really interesting to talk about. A guy like Darius Basley, who's a, a 6 9 yeah. forward out of Cincinnati, Ohio, picked Syracuse and then decommitted, is one of these guys who's now a, a bit on this new wave, deciding to go through the G League. And he's being projected as a late first-round pick in the upcoming uh, 2019 draft. Do you think, uh, especially as the G League is sort of paying a livable wage to its prospects, that this is going to become a more appealing option for more prospects to go through the G League, really try to develop there in, in that sort of minor league system, and just forego the NCAA altogether as they try to carve their path to the NBA. I, I do. I, I, you know, it's, it's, I had such mixed feelings with Basley because, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a Syracuse uh, fan and alum, and so I was excited. You know, they have a great recruiting class. They're expected to to have a good season with Bayheim still there somehow managing to, <laughs> to lead the, the crew. Uh, and so, you know, I, when he decided to, to do this, I was mixed because part of me was excited. Oh, this is going to lead more guys skilled players to decide to go that route and play in the G League first and earn their you know spot in the upcoming NBA draft. Now, I've read some things, and it sounds like maybe he's going to go back on that and not actually go through the G League. Maybe he's getting nervous that the, the quality of play at the G League is a little better than what he expected, and maybe he doesn't want to get out there and be a dud and hurt his draft stock. That would be a shame. I think the best case scenario for the G League and for Darius Basley is he goes balls out and and is fantastic in the G League and then is a lottery pick because now kids all around the country are going to look at it as an option. And as you mentioned, it's nothing to shake your head out when you're at when you're 18 years old. You're getting 35k for five months. It's not like that's a year salary. That's for five months. You're getting 35k and you're getting room and board. They get put up in some beautiful places up in Prescott Valley, right on a golf course. It's it's fantastic. So you know that element needs to be talked about too. That this is becoming more and more a legit option for skilled basketball players along with the percentages. Let's look at the percentages of players in the NBA that have played in the G League. That percentage is skyrocketing, and I believe it might be you know, approaching 50%. So that is another number that you want to say to you know, maybe high school stars, but specifically college stars who, who might not be uh, you know, making the grade or, and, and might have the ability to, to go play basketball, leaving a scholarship for somebody, another student athlete to come into that school and take advantage of it. Whatever the situation happens to be, I just think it's another good option for basketball. And I hope, like I said, that it, that it all kind of comes for full circle, that they have all 30 affiliates and they start to kind of change some of the rules uh, that are currently weighing it down from being a true bona fide minor league system in in our country and keeping guys from going to play in Europe uh, who are very skilled, keeping them here in their backyards and in some cases playing for their local teams, which will drive the numbers of fans and, and all these things. I, I think these are all elements that uh, are starting to happen, and you can see it blooming, uh, if you will, in the G League. And that's exciting for Adam Silver. That's exciting for the NBA. I think it's exciting for the each specific owner that has their act together with the affiliate uh, situation already set up for the future. For them to attract real top-tier blue-chip talent, they might have to raise the salary because 35000 is about a third of what DeAndre Ayton got at U of A, right? <laughs> 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 You're right, but once you leave college, they stop paying you that number, right? That's right, that's right. <laughs> now, uh, 
I have a couple questions. Now, you are the official voice of the post game show. So you do the post game show on uh, KTAR, the best sports radio station in the Valley. And you take calls. So people call in after the games. And I listen, first of all, the entire time that you've worked for the Suns, I've been listening. I personally, it's almost a better experience to listen on the radio in Arizona. We're very lucky to have the team that we have. Uh, listening to the games on the radio in Phoenix is is really stellar, stellar stuff. We have, of course, Al McCoy, one of the best ever, uh, doing our games, and then you come on for the post game. You take calls though, and I've noticed listening time and time again that you start to get callers that you recognize them. Now you don't have to call them out by name, but do you ever have people that call in that you hear them in that first thing that they say, and you're like, oh no, it's this guy. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a handful that are just staples, right? I mean, I right. almost I almost think of them as co-hosts. They're uh, characters. I, I've been through I've been through several co-hosts, as you mm-hmm. probably know. I've done it solo as well. Uh, I love Eddie House. We've had a great connection, both being Bay Area born and raised, and then making our way to the Valley. And and uh, he's he's fantastic to work with. And and I think we're we're back again this year. This will be our third year. Great. Uh, doing the show together and. Uh, you know, but but from a caller standpoint, yeah, there's there's the staple guys. Mr. Orange used to call yep. every single show, and I I felt bad because at one point I was in the uh, in a meeting with the bigwigs at the radio station and with the Suns, and the, the kind of message was you just you can't take the same guys every single show. <laughs> You've got to you know rotate it through and let other you know other voices uh, shine and and have their opportunity. And I felt horrible. I had to go up to Mr. Orange, and I had to go to Peter, and I and I had to. And Peter's another season ticket holder that calls almost every show, and I had to tell, say, "Look, they're telling me I can't have you guys call in every show. So if you could maybe just like once every few games or whatever it was, and and uh, it was a little heartbreaking uh, because in essence, I think they felt like this was part of their routine. They got to vent. At that point, it was vent, right? And before, during years of my <laughs> early years, it was celebrate. Uh, you know, I remember being at Staples Center and uh, and and hosting it live during the playoffs and uh, back in 2010. But it does seem like a lifetime ago. Uh, so now it has been the venting situation, which I was basically baptized by the Cardinals doing their post game show for nine years, uh, <laughs> with the majority of those years being thin. So mm-hmm. I was ready uh, to deal with with fans being upset and fans. Uh, needing therapy in a way I'm kind of a therapist on the radio I mm-hmm. mean that's that's what it boils down to and and the thing is when I'm giving therapy and I'm trying to help fans who are disgruntled and upset about the product I'm also in that situation so I'm kind of talking to myself I mean I'm, I'm a Suns fan since I was 13 years old uh, and it's been 30 years now so I feel it and I think I think it comes across when, I, when I'm mm-hmm. talking to them and I think I'd that's say it something does. that yeah, I mean, it, it's it's real. It is 100% real. I, I used to tell people, you know, if I was ever going to do a Monday through Friday sports talk show, it would have to probably be in the Bay Area because that's where I grew up and mo- most of my passion is. But the only show that I do when I do a show here in Phoenix, and I've lived here 15 years now, uh, is the Phoenix Suns because that's a team that has been my team since I was a kid. Uh, so the passion's real. And I, I do cheer for this team. I try not to be too unabashed of a homer mm-hmm. and be real about it because I can't even respect myself if I'm not 
you know, being honest with, with fans and calling it like I see it and at least being truthful. So uh, that's, it's been a fun run. Uh, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't anything I anticipated being a, a call-in show host, uh, even though I did grow up on it, listening to it since I was a very little kid on the radio, uh, going to bed when my mom used to tell me to shut the radio off when she walked past my room and I just turn it down a tiny bit so only I could hear it. Uh, <laughs> and, and I remember that since I was probably six, seven years old. But my thing's play-by-play. I absolutely love calling the action. Uh, you mentioned Al McCoy. It's been an unbelievable dream to to work with a guy like that who's a legend, a Hall of Famer, and the best in the business. Still doing it at 85 years of age. Last year uh, was the first year he really uh, handed the torch to me at all during the regular season. And I and I got to call 11 games right. and do some road trips. And it was an unbelievable experience. I mean, to get the taste of what that life is like that I've dreamt about for decades now uh was was amazing and yet you know obviously i understand his importance to this team this community the valley everybody who's ever kind of touched sun's basketball at least the last 47 years has also uh had that feeling about al mccoy so uh, we are blessed to have him here have him back for another season and uh you know if he if he decides to give me the call i'll be ready to go and uh, get back up there and, st- and step in. And then uh, in the meantime, I'll be watching the, the next young crop of players uh, in the G League up in Prescott Valley with that one uh, not starting till November. So we get a full month of Suns hoops mm-hmm. before they start up there with the, the Naz boys. Well, I got to say, uh, it feels good to know that if, if and when Al McCoy does finally hang it up, uh, we have a guy like you that can step in, someone with the experience and who really loves the team the same way we do. This is a Homer podcast after all, uh, <laughs> and it's nice to know that you'll be the guy that steps in. I have to say, we could probably go on for hours in this conversation, but I think that means that we have to have you back on sometime in the near future because this has been really, really great. I really appreciate You're such a pro. It makes me feel like such an amateur. <laughs> no, stop it. Look, you guys did one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, edited amazingly. Uh, description was fantastic when you did the oral history uh, of the 09-2010 uh, uh, season. And I, I'm thankful to you for doing it because it allowed me to travel back in time mm-hmm. and live that again. And that was a phenomenal ride. And I can't wait till we get to all go on that ride again together. You know, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things like when you're tortured as a fan base, it does make success all the sweeter. And I think we're all ready for some of that sweetness right now. All right, once again, John Bloom, official voice of the Northern Arizona Suns and voice of the Phoenix Suns postgame show for Arizona Sports 98.7 and ArizonaSports.com. Thank you so much for being here. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to plug. I did see that you're a musician on your Twitter page. Is that right? Do you play out or gig at all? Uh, you know, I haven't been gigging, if you will, uh, except for when I go to Michigan during the summer. I get together with some guys and we play music. But I think I'm going to potentially get back into it. Uh, but my main thing is getting ready for hoops. Uh, and uh, the first thing on the agenda is going to be, obviously, training camp in, in Flagstaff. I'm looking forward to that. I'm not sure about a broadcast of the scrimmage yet, which is uh, going to be that last day. That. Right, at Talking Stick Resort Arena. We're, we're discussing that. But I do know I will be streaming, uh, broadcasting the home preseason games on ah. Suns.com. And uh, Ann Myers-Drysdale, I believe, is going to be with me for two of them. And that's going to oh. be uh, October 1st, 3rd, and 5th. So they play Sacramento on the 1st. They play a team from New Zealand on, on uh, the 3rd. And then uh, on Friday, the Portland Trailblazers. So I'm fired up. I'm going to get a call some preseason action 
and uh, that can be seen and heard on uh, Suns.com. Al McCoy and Tim Kempton will still be on the call on Arizona Sports, uh, 98.7 FM, but there is uh, no TV for those games, so you'll uh, be able to watch the action uh, and stream it live. So that's always something I look forward to. That's the only thing I think I'm going to – take your time to plug but uh, again thanks for having me on and yeah let's definitely do it again thank you so much for being here i cannot wait to experience the games this season with as much excitement that we have uh, to be able to listen to them on the radio with you guys broadcasting that's gonna be a blast thank you so much for joining us and for sam this is mike thanks for listening to the timeline Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.